Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom, and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. I'm excited to introduce part three of a special three-part series about how reimagining the digital workplace presents a unique opportunity for organizations to transform the employee experience. This series is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome DWS Practice Architect at Tech Systems, Colby Love, and Global Delivery Director at Tech Systems, Chris Mercer. Colby, uh, first, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and what you do at Tech Systems? Sure, thanks. Appreciate the opportunity here. So I'm actually relatively new to Tech Systems, probably one of our, our newer hires. I've been onboarded about maybe seven, eight months now. Uh, but I've been in the managed service provider space for going on 20 years, uh, done various roles, obviously, throughout that time, but heavily focused on the last decade or more on innovation, artificial intelligence, and automation. And so as my role as a digital workplace service architect, uh, that's really what my focus is right now. We're, we're heavily invested in, in these technologies. A lot of these emerging technologies bring these together into a platform uh, that will deliver real business outcomes and business value for our customers and all the different verticals. And so it's, it's a key partnerships uh, with a lot of the leaders in their various spaces, as well as collaborating across our practices that we have within tech. What about you, Chris? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I've been with tech for about 15 years, so still still relatively new in the in the tech world. <laughs> um, I'm responsible for our service delivery and the, the service desk desktop support. Um, and then in the last uh, few years, been really focusing on the automation and in, in user experience side of the house. So uh, I sit in Phoenix. Um, I've got folks all across the globe um, that are delivering these type of outcomes for our, our end users. And we figure you know, we have about 3 million interactions a year with uh, users in uh, all, all different industries, right? So if you think of it, you know, in the, the business world, we're, we're using tools like ServiceNow, you know, Microsoft Teams, uh, heavily focused in the, the Google suite and the Amazon uh, suite, as well as uh, Microsoft Azure. So let's get, let's get started here. So IDC recently forecast that organizations will spend $650 billion on what they call future of work technologies in, in 2021. A big part of that spend is in the digital workplace. First, uh, can you define for me the digital workplace and then what should organizations be thinking about in terms of their digital workplace strategy? Chris, why don't we start with you? Sure, yeah, so I, I guess from my side, the digital workplace is where business can provide that kind of exceptional user experience to all of their employees, regardless of where they sit, um, because they're gonna have a blended environment, right? So we have a, a portion of our folks that sit you know, in the office, a portion that come into the office sometimes and a portion that will never come into the office and they work remote. And they all need to have that same, uh, you know, accessibility to the tools, the people, the collaboration, et cetera. Um, and this is really where the IT can can, can thrive because they're there to provide and enable those employees to work from really any device, anytime, anywhere in a pretty highly personalized experience where 
you know, if I choose to work from a Mac or I choose to work from a tablet primarily, I could do that. Uh, and, and that's going to help me become more efficient. Um, when it comes to like how the organization should really think about it, I think that they're really focused on providing that cohesive environment so that all of the, the team members can, can, can do their job and really work from, um, you know, the environment that they choose from. I think it's really important to call out, though, that all of the best products really don't always provide the best solution because the users need to be a part of this. And, and that's where we bring in like the user acceptance testing. We bring in things like the, the user groups to, to validate, you know, what is going to enable them, what's not working for them. Um, how do we roll it out and, and teach them to consume it the right way? Right. Um, or modify the way that it's um, being provided to consume it the way that they want. And I think the purpose of all of this is to drive that same level or higher of employee engagement, productivity, and satisfaction that we had when we were all sitting in the office. And that's really what we all want to be focusing on. So who should be driving the strategy in the organization? Yeah, well, first off, let me just say, I, I like that you didn't say who should be driving the IT strategy, right? Mm -hmm. I just want to make that, that, that clarifying point because an IT first strategy, we often see, you know, it misses the mark because the focus is less on achieving the business outcomes and really more on just delivering solutions or technologies or products, you know, and, and spending the budget that's been provided to them. To Chris's earlier point, right, he was just making, having the best technology products doesn't really necessarily deliver the best business solutions, the best business outcomes. Yeah, you know, how many companies have we seen that have just migrated everything to the cloud in a lift and shift manner and then found that all their problems followed them? They didn't achieve cost savings. Maybe they've even increased their technical debt. You know, that's really the failure of a, an IT first strategy. So really what we see is there should be a, a business strategy, obviously supported by IT initiatives, that's really focused on delivering the business outcomes that are critical to successful change within an organization. So, you know, we work with customers of all sizes. So we don't really see necessarily one specific role driving the strategy, but we definitely see key characteristics uh, that are successful, that the most successful strategists embody. So a few of those really are just, the first one is they have to have the ability to make decisions, right? They can't be handicapped. Uh, we've worked with a number of customers. We've been identified to be an advisory role and you know, they've done their analysis. They know what business outcomes they want to achieve. They've gone through and created a plan. And then when it comes time to execute, um, you know, they have to get approval. They have to maybe go to a parent company uh, with a lot of our global com customers that we work with that's in another country. And there's where that initiative dies, right? They just can't get that approval. They're not empowered to make, make the change. And so having that ability to make decisions and, and enact a plan is obviously a key characteristic. I'd say second, it's you know, broad visibility across the business. If the person setting the strategy is in one area of the business, they're too narrowly focused, then obviously the strategy may not have the impacting change um, across the organization that's needed to really bring the value. Um, and then third is really for what I see is probably maybe the, the key characteristic um, that a strategy should have, and that's the fortitude to stick with the strategy. So after you've gone through your analysis, you feel confident in the plan, you know what's your business outcomes you want to achieve, there's still good times going to be failures, right? There's going to be setbacks. Um, there's obviously ways to minimize those. We can talk a little bit about that. But the biggest mistake we see is that when there are those failures and there's setbacks, that often it can mean that someone who isn't the right strategist, setting the right strategy, will think, oh, we just need a different tool. Let's rip and replace the tool we're using as a tool of failure. Or maybe the plan, they throw it out and want to start over. 
And what that always ends up causing is huge delays that are very costly. And often that the plan is fine, the tools are fine. You know, maybe the, the OCM aspect of it was missing from the strategy or need to be adjusted. Maybe the timeline wasn't realistic. Or maybe there's just too many conflicting initiatives, right? You're resource constrained, um, but are all trying to be executed by the same team. So, you know, you need to make those tweaks. You need to do assessment of your failures, but having that fortitude, that backbone to stick with the strategy, continue to move forward is definitely a key characteristic. Now, there's still gonna be pivots, you know, based on changing business needs and priorities and the flexibility, agility absolutely has to be there as well. And then probably the last characteristic I see is really just that willingness to partner with trusted advisors. Those may be internal to the company, those may be external, but it's often gonna be people who have experience uh, that bring capabilities that the strategist doesn't have and that's gonna help advise them and execute on the plan. So those are just a few of the key core characteristics. Now, the role we see across our customers, again, you know, we deal with customers of all different sizes from a few thousand end users to global companies, you know, across all the continents. So it could be a manager, it could be a director, it could be a chief strategy officer, but if they, if they embody these characteristics, um, they'll have a successful strategy and, and we'll see real business change that is possible. How would you characterize the central problem or problems that digital workplace platforms are supposed to solve for the organization? Yeah, I think I think when I look at the, the problems that we're, we're facing that these tools are supposed to address is that we're trying to put people in a position where they can collaborate um, across you know, various regions, uh, time zones, um, and, and, and really bring everybody together, right? So we all remember the times where we'd be in a conference room and there'd be 15, 20 people in a room and four people remote. And the people that remote just didn't feel engaged or didn't feel to include in the conversation. They didn't even know when to, to speak up or, or how to do that. Um, and that was a challenge. Well, with some of these digital platforms, we've, we've started to break down those barriers and make it so that no matter where you are or what device you're on, you have that same experience. And you know when to engage, how to engage, you feel included. Um, you know, you can do everything from pull up a document and edit it, you know, simultaneously. Uh, versus, you know, if you remember back back when you used to throw up one document on the projector and have 12 people talking to one person that was doing the fingers right. on keyboard, right? We don't have those problems. I think the other thing is that when everyone was pushed to work virtually because of COVID, many of those organizations, they just lost touch with their people. Many of them just were not as effective as they were in person. And those general and uh, teaming and collaboration just didn't incur unless it was scheduled and on calendar. And that caused people to really feel disconnected. They were disconnected from the team, disconnected from their leaders, and disconnected from the business. And it didn't take long for folks to realize how important it was to have those short conversations in the elevator or how to have those meeting, you know, lunch meetings where you could, you know, eat and, and have a conversation, you know, about work and even not about work and just build that relationship. And that's where those collaboration tools and the digital workplace, you know, experience really comes to address those challenges. Um, and I think if they're leveraged right, and that's the important part, because they're not all leveraged right, but if they're leveraged right, it really removes those barriers and it enables folks to be even, uh, you know, better, stronger, faster, more agile uh, remotely or on site than they were ever when they were just completely, you know, um, sitting in the same room. Well, and to, to follow up, on, on that as well. Remote work is definitely impacting every organization today, as, as Chris just said, whether 100% of their workforce is remote or, or not. 
Um, what's your opinion on the future of hybrid and remote work models? It's probably the most common topic that everybody's talking about still trying to, to figure out what their future looks like. But I think for starters, we can say that it's here to stay, right? There's hybrid and remote work models are here. You can't put that genie back in the bottle. Companies have had to prove, and it's been proven, that they can thrive with these remote workforce models or these hybrid workforce models and still maintain employee productivity, right? Employees aren't just off uh, not working just because you can't see them. Uh, the data right. security can still be maintained, right? <laughs> you know, all those things are possible. So, you know, that's been proven. And employees, for the most part, I think, really love this flexibility. You know, we're seeing that, obviously, within our own company, with all the customers we work with we work with, that we've helped through uh, this transition. They love the flexibility of the hybrid and remote, remote work models, and they're not gonna wanna give that up. So, you know, the companies that force them to just 100% return on site, you know, they're, they're gonna lose valuable employees. Those employees are gonna look for new opportunities, new roles, um, if, they're, if they're liking the remote work model. And, you know, at the same time, it isn't for everyone. As Chris said, you know, many people like that face-to-face -face inter interaction. They're missing the socialness. And there are certain tasks and roles that obviously are just going to be more effective in person or on site. Yeah. So for companies, you know, that keep the workforce remote, it's going to, it is going to take making more of a conscientious effort to really just check in on their employees. You know, what's their mental health state? What's their job satisfaction? How are they feeling on their connectedness to the company? It's a big challenge of maintaining your company culture when you aren't together. And, you know, your interactions are just limited to 30 minutes at a time over Zoom. You, you have to you have to schedule those in-person meetings, and they have to allocate some time there for socializing. Um, I've, I've worked remote for, geez, going on 15 years now for different companies in different roles. So maybe there really wasn't that big of a change, you know, during the pandemic. Kids were obviously home for an extended period of time. It was like a, a long summer vacation for them. But uh, for me, I was recruited here to tech during quarantine. So it was almost seven months before I met my first uh, tech system employee face to face. And when I finally got the opportunity, it was to, you know, to know people outside just our daily meetings. It really hit me how much I missed that connectedness and how it really helped strengthen uh, the relationships with those I work with on a day-to-day -day basis, just being able to meet in person. So um, that will definitely will continue to be key as customers or you know companies look at at the remote and hybrid workforce. Yeah, and to to follow on that, and you know, Colby, what what you shared from from your onboarding experience, you know, how do you onboard and manage a, a workforce that? Um, even, you know, hopefully soon enough post pandemic, um, you know, includes still includes a mix of full time and, and in the office full time remote and uh, potentially hybrid as well. How do you how do you onboard and, and, and manage them effectively? It's, it'll be interesting, you know, you have to be cognizant of employees and their needs when they're working from home. I think a lot of companies, they just they think high speed internets, you know, ubiquitous, everybody just has it. Um, before COVID, it seemed like more and more companies were moving away from, you know, subsidizing home office expenses and providing equipment. Working from home, the benefit of working from home, that was the benefit, right? Um, so I think, you know, you'll see a little more demand for employees, for, you know, for subsidies and those things to be taken in consideration. Do they have uh, the right workspace at home? Um, and, you know, and there's some other impacts, lasting impacts of COVID. It'll seem, it'll be interesting to see if they last, you know, when you call in to, customer or 
for a customer service agent today and you hear a baby crying in the background, you know, we have empathy with them right. today, you know, so, uh, you know, how will we still have that, you know, once the new normal is this remote hybrid workforce, you know, it'll be interesting. I hope, I hope so. So, yeah. And, and it, it, so at tech, we started our digital workplace journey, you know, long before COVID um, hit. And so, you know, while, while it did change the way that we maybe um, deployed things or, or introduced folks like that kind of remote onboarding for, for new hires, um, it didn't change it. Um, as much as I think some organizations, right? So we've always had a hybrid workforce. Um, and the way that we've, we've operated is generally, as you know, your first few you know, weeks uh, are, are in person, you're, you're meeting your leaders and your team, and then obviously you'd be deployed uh, virtually and you work from home. But you always had that kind of engagement where you were going out to customer sites or various team meetings and events. So there, there was that um, you know, ability to, to stay connected, um, which worked. One of the things, though, that we've seen as we go through this this whole new COVID world is that hybrid workforce is changing to where instead of having, you know, maybe 60% on site, 40% remote, we're, we're now in the, the 20% on site, 80% remote. And so we have had to modify some of our tools and our processes uh, to make sure that they scale, right? So to make sure that folks are getting what they need and that there's no, you know, latency or, or impact their job. Um, and so for us, it was less about how do we onboard somebody, get them their device, their credentials, and their training, but more how do we incorporate them into our co company culture virtually? How do we show them, you know, the value of tech and, and the team and truly that, you know, if you need help, there's tens, hundreds, thousands of people that are, are willing to be there for you. Um, and if you want to, you know, build a relationship, you know, above and beyond that and, and, and really get build friendships, that, that, that we've got a lot of folks to do that too. So we spent a lot of time changing our meeting cadences, introducing icebreakers, introducing, you know, meetings just to get to know someone better, rolling out mentor and leadership programs and, and various initiatives that were, were really focused on, you know, helping drive that culture to, to some of the team members that we, we haven't met yet. Right. And then the other thing that's really important is we're, we're constantly soliciting the feedback from folks to understand you know, how would you like to be, you know, managed? How would you like to be collaborated with? Um, what can we do differently? And then, you know, baselining kind of where we are today and, and then evolving that and then rebaselining and evolving that. Um, we've even implemented new, um, you know, surveys, third-party surveys that go out to folks and talk about, you know, how does the technology support you in your virtual work? How do your leaders support you in your virtual work? Um, how do you, you know, want us to change? And, and I think, you know, taking that feedback and, and really what we've coined is that voice of the employee and then taking action is really important. So at, at some point or another, whether as a consumer or as an employee, everyone has had to call tech support. How will technologies like AI and automation impact tech support or the service desk as we know it today? I think maybe this is a divided topic for some, right? You know, some are embracing this and they're excited about the opportunities. Others are, are skeptical or, or think that it's not going <laughs> to improve our lives. But, um, you know, first rest, Jerry, right? We're a long ways from, from Skynet occurring. Um, <laughs> the equivalent of a, a general AI, right? Which is defined as an AI that's as intelligent as a human. There's not even a horizon for that right now, right? We're still in the weak AI space where it takes training, um, it takes supervision. So, and a, a super AI, when there's more advanced humans, right? We're, we're a long ways away from that point in time. 
I will give a little PSA here, right? I mean, be nice to your your AI today, <laughs> your virtual agents, your virtual assistants. In our house, we uh, we tell our kids, you know, say please and thank you when you're talking to Alexa. You know, thanks Rosie the vacuum when she's done because, you know, their brain is the cloud. It's the internet, right? So they, they have a long memory. So when they do reach that that point in time in the future, um, you know, they'll remember what what you've said and done with them today. So, um, but really, I mean, seriously, uh, this is an emerging technology, right? even though it's it's still rapidly evolving. Um, it is expanding into all areas of the business. You, you can't avoid that. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's looking and thinking about it. And we haven't seen any, any one person solve it. I mean, there's still hundreds of different, you know, automation and conversational and virtual agent platforms out there. Um, but but there is some consolidation starting to happen in this space. At the same time, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy, right? I mean, I've been reading different white papers and surveys showing that end users, when they engage, they really do value that personal engagement. And surprisingly, they are even you know willing sometimes to have a slightly longer resolution time um, to have that personal experience. You know, so often with AI and automation, we're just focused on reduce reduce speed, reduce cost, you know, which it, it can deliver, but, you know, you need to keep in mind that, that personal experience, you know, users, they want to engage on the channels they prefer, whether that's virtual agents, you know, SMS, Facebook messenger, um, whatever, you know, chat, they want to choose how they want to engage. And normally you don't think of a personal engagement when you're dealing with an AI, but I think the virtual assistants that we have outside the workplace, you know, they're showing us the type of experiences that really are possible in the workplace. So we'll continue to see that initial point of engagement for all areas of the business operations going probably through a virtual agent or an AI conversation AI upfront, you know, with supported by automation on the back end. So, our, you know, and there's some benefits that are really going to come from that, right? Our employees, they want to focus on the issues that matter most to the business that have real, real impact. So virtual agents and automation, they remove the noise from the daily repetitive tasks uh, that our employees have to do. And that's really what they want. The, the AI, the virtual automation, they can do that well. And sometimes, you know, they can often do those tasks faster. So, you know, this is going to increase employee satisfaction by taking away those tasks they don't want to be doing anyway, not their jobs, right? There's still plenty of work to be done by people. Um, it'll improve user experience. As we said, you know, users want to choose how they, how they want to engage. Um, we can consolidate engagement points. So now, um, Inside a company often, you know, to get support, maybe you had to go to a web portal or you had to go to Teams or call in, you know, you can consolidate that down into a single point of engagement, making it easier uh, to, for users, enabling them, right, to resolve their needs faster through automation and self-service. While still, of course, you know, being conscientious of that personal experience that they say they want to have. Virtual agents are great. They can be aware of past issues. They can be fed data about problems that may be occurring on a user's device or with their account. So they can actually be proactive in taking actions when these things are, are detected or, or even predictive when you do have to engage in recommending what they think the users might need even before they say anything, right? So that's, that's a great user experience. And maybe just one or two other quick points on this. I can talk all day on this. I've been working in this space for probably, you know, four or five years now. But, you know, they can bridge those language barriers. So now instead of having to have language-specific desks um, within a company, you can have real-time translation that happens when you're working through 
you know, a conversational AI uh, that'll help, you know, get, bridge that gap of that language barrier. And all these things are going to ultimately reduce total cost ownership for, for our customers, for, for companies out there. It's going to free up budget that they can then use to focus on the other areas of the business that matter most to them. So what steps should organizations take to prepare their workforce? Um, thinking about the end users who tap into technical, uh, technical support, and then on the other side of the equation, the employees who provide tech support. Yeah, you know, I, I'd hope that most organizations already have a model in place today, <laughs> and their, their focus is less on how do we prepare and more how do we perfect, right? Yeah. So, so a lot of these organizations, you know, we, we saw the team members that were being pushed to virtual and the, the, the collaboration tools that they have, um, some of them weren't even ready yet, right? They weren't even mass deployed. So they were deployed quickly and in a, a rather crude way. So the training and OCM that, that did occur was really around the basics. How do you, how do you use it to do your job? And, and that's about it. They haven't actually really began to, to use all those tools to their fullest potential. So I think there's going to be a big focus on that, and, and there should be. We also saw that a lot of our partners, um, they didn't have laptops for everybody. They had a mix of thin clients, desktops, laptops, shared workstations, you know, all over the place. And when everyone was sent to work from home, they had to order all these devices. And they consumed every device that all of the major vendors had available. And all of this was happening at the exact same time that all the production of those devices basically came to a halt. So this led to those hardware shortages that we saw across the globe. And that meant that instead of picking the right device or the perfect device that was aligned to the, what the user really wanted, they picked the only device that was available. And that may not have been the best device. So a lot of these organizations are going to have to go through and, and, and fix that. Initially, the employees were focused on being able to do their job remotely and less on how efficient they could be at their job. That said, we're at a point now where they've been working remotely for over a year. And now the focus is how efficient can I be? How agile can I be? How can I consume all of the services and, and really be excited about it instead of just do what I'm forced to do? So this is causing all those organizations now that that supply chain has, has recovered, right? to go through and start to build a plan on how do we get the right device in the right person's hand, aligned to what they want and what they need for their job. Uh, how do we rationalize the software and services that we have in place and remove the ones that are good enough? And how do we maximize the investment that we made for the ones that are already great, but we're just not using them, right? And how do we build that plan to do what's best for the organization, not what's best to get the organization uh, to keep it running? Right. And, and I think that's a huge shift. Can you talk to me a little bit about some of the work that Tech Systems is doing in the digital workplace services space? Yeah, no, that, that's uh, something I'd love to chat about. So um, we have a, a DWS practice, so digital workplace services practice. And, and really that practice is what Colby and I belong to. Uh, and we've got many, many peers. And that team provides consulting, project-based, and annuity-based services to, to customers across the and all of the services that we provide today are focused in the, the topics that we're talking about, right? So providing service desk support, desktop support, hardware configuration services and deployment, um, implementing and managing self-service and automation services to include like virtual assistants, robotic process automation, you know, things like that. And we also have an entire segment of the team that's actually focused on field deployments. And, uh, you know, if you, you asked me, in 2019, 2018, you know, what does field deployment do? I'd say, well, they go through and they, they deploy assets to people in the field, right? 
Um, but but things have changed. And so they now can do uh, obviously everything from that traditional hardware refresh, new assets, data transfers, hyper care support and, and things like that. But they've also started to do a lot of health checks. So in an organization that has been mostly virtual for the past year plus, wants to start going back to site in some form or another, um, their site needs to be prepared for that, right? You need to have like almost like an infrastructure review. You need to go through and evaluate is the environment, the workspace, everything like that ready for folks. There needs to be some rationalization of all that hardware that was left behind and hasn't been used in over a year. Does it still work? Is it the right hardware? And what needs to be repaired? What needs to be retired? And then there needs to be people there when the team members return back to work to ensure that day one experience is exceptional. Right. So this isn't just something, you know, to hold somebody's hand and show them where they sit, but also there to make sure that they're not overwhelming the current service desk, desktop support teams. And then that user goes from I was working great from home and now I'm coming into the office and I'm unable to be as productive as maybe I should be or could be here in the office. Uh, we want to completely remove that uh, concern from them. And so that's one of the things that we've been focusing uh, pretty heavy on. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much for joining the show. No, thank you for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been great chatting. Well, again, I'd like to thank Colby Love and Chris Mercer from Tech Systems for joining the show. Learn more about Tech Systems and their perspective at techsystems.com. I'm Greg Kilstrom. Thanks for listening to the Agile World. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.